Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for friends. Thank you for family. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you will, you can turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Uh, Jeremiah is basically in the middle of your Bible. We'll be hopping around a little bit, but if you've never found Jeremiah twenty nine eleven before, today would be a great date to start. Um, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles in front of your chairs. Um, and if you don't have one at home, feel free to take it uh, with you. Uh, you are not stealing from the church. I give you permission, okay? Uh, also, you can always go online if you have a smartphone and download an app called Version, and it has um, all kinds of different translations of the Bible there for you. Um, if you would prefer that, I like the feel of leather in my hand, but uh, it just is what it is. There we go. All right. Uh, Christmas, the anticipation is building, the excitement is going on. It's interesting having little children. I know all my Christmas stories revolve around my children because I have walking sermon illustrations in my house right now. I think we're just going to have to continue to have children every like five years so I can get a refresher of what that, what that happens. Um, I haven't talked past that one past Kelly yet. Um, I know my parents would be all for it, but I don't know about Kelly. Uh, So we... But, oh man, Christmas this year, they're five. So it's that, it's that oh my goodness. Um, they, they're understanding. They know something might happen. Now, it's interesting with twins because they've gone through the same thing at the same time, the same ways. You don't usually get that. They, you get the girl perspective and the boy perspective, which is different. Uh, everybody chuckled for that for some reason. Uh, Kendall generally doesn't throw things at my head. Bowen, watch out. Uh, So that's just how it happens. Anyway, uh, Bowen has got the anticipation factor. Kendall, I don't know if she's really figured it out yet. Uh, But Bowen's got it, and I started to feel myself being manipulated yesterday. And so what has happened is that he has found his toys that he knows there's extra sets of. He's smart. Like, he's got it down. So he goes and finds, he's playing with all of his racetracks right now, or anything that has additions to. You know how you can like add the sets? So he's playing with racetracks he hasn't played with in six months. He's like, you know, there's more of these. You know, more cars, there's blue ones and red ones. He's explaining the whole deal to me. Because he's got like, something's going to happen here. I don't really know what it is, but I got a feeling. And there's this anticipation, there is this hope of something that he doesn't quite know what's going to happen. You you know what I'm saying? Maybe you're experiencing the same thing. Maybe your kid's not as conniving as mine. I don't know. But um, he just started it yesterday. Like, he doesn't know that all the shopping's done for him, so good luck. But uh, hopefully we got the right things. Uh, We didn't, I gave it to him, and deal with it. Um, (laughs) Christmas is about hope. Last week we talked about wonder, this wonderment of what is happening. Today we're going to talk about the word hope. And to understand, hope is a tricky word 
Because it's kind of to think about something, but you don't know what it's going to be. Like, I hope for something better, except I have no idea what better is. We get in trouble with hope when we start to define what better is. We get in trouble. I didn't even write that in my notes. That was good. That was the Holy Spirit right there. <laughs> we get in trouble with hope when we, def- when we try to define better. And the point of Christmas and the point of Christianity is we let God to define better, not ourselves. Hope is tricky. My parents, I don't know if you guys do this, but they are box, my mother, my dad doesn't do this, but my mom is a box reuser. And she does not care what that package was. For a long time in our church, we had a lady in our church who owned a bar. She would continuously give us, liquor boxes are perfect to stack and to store things on because they're, they're sturdy and they got you know, the right size. All my Christmas presents came out of liquor boxes. <laughs> I guarantee you, never, ever was there any alcohol ever given to me at Christmas from my mother. If she was in here, she'd be like, just thinking about that. Oh, she's walking in the door. I got to stop the mom jokes. Uh, so, <laughs> but if you think about it, she never did that. But but these boxes were, were liquor boxes, and I was like, oh, so we never paid attention to that. Well, a couple Christmases ago, I think it was Christmas or birthday, I opened this present. I open it up, and I don't pay attention to the outside. And I was like, huh? Oh, it's an iPad box. Cool. And I go to open it because I know it's not an iPad. That's not happening. It's got cellophane on it. Wait a second. It took me a good three minutes to realize there was actually an iPad in the iPad box. <laughs> right? Because I didn't even dare to hope that this could actually happen. You guys, you guys following me on? Hope is a tricky, tricky, tricky thing. Christmas is about hope. It is about the rest. It's always been about hope. This time of year has always been about hope. I'll give a plug for a PBS thing right now. DVR it so you can fast forward through when they ask for money. Um, But right now, Rick Steves has an amazing Christmas around the world type thing going on. It's an hour and a half long program. Um, You're like, wow, Jared, your Saturday nights are cool. Uh, It was Friday night. Thank you very much. Um, But it is wonderful. And Rick Steves is preaching the gospel the whole way through on PBS. It's like, and the telephone. In the telethon, he's preaching the gospel. I was like, oh, come on now. I don't even know if he's a Christian. He didn't know what he was doing. Uh, it was really, really exciting. And just watch it. You'll, you'll like it. But he was talking about how the, the first part of how Christmas became on December 25th. And I've done some research on this as well. And, but you guys know Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th. If that's news to you, I'm sorry. Um, there's some other things about Christmas we can talk about later when kids aren't in the room. And so we can, we can deal with those issues. But December 25th, probably Jesus wasn't born that day. He was probably either born in the spring or the fall. It's very unique about Jesus' birth. Throughout the scriptures, everything is time-stamped with feast days. If you look at it, everything, you probably buzz through it when you read the scripture. I don't care about the feast. I don't know what that's all about. But what that does is give you a time of year that that happened. Jesus' birthday does not get that um, addition. It doesn't get that help. So uh, we don't actually know. We're thinking shepherds aren't in the field in December in Israel. They're in the field in the spring and they're in the, uh, spring, in the field in the fall. So it probably is not in December. If you want to go ahead and think that, you go right ahead. Totally fine. 
Jesus doesn't love you less. He doesn't, you know, it's okay. Um, and uh, hopefully you don't love me less for saying December 25th is not really Jesus' birthday. So how do we come on December 25th? Glad you asked. How do we land on this date? Well, it's very interesting. Neat story. There's a pope. One of the first popes when Christianity is the state religion of Rome. His name is, I think, Pope Julius. And Pope Julius is thinking, he's going, you know what? We need Jesus' birthday party. We need this to happen. And he's thinking, and he's thinking about how are we going to do this? When are we going to do it? How does this all work? And in Italy, and in most of Europe, there's this huge winter solstice festival. The darkest days of the year, there are celebrations of light. And so Julius goes, you know what? I know somebody who represents light. Hmm. And at the, the winter solstice parties are all about the return of the sun. And Pope Julius is like, you know what? I know something about a sun coming. And so he takes this pagan idea of the winter solstice, and he says, you know what? Let me redeem that. Let me reclaim that. They're so close to the right idea, yet so far away. So here they got, they're already throwing the party. Let me give them a reason why they actually should be partying. And so he redeems this December winter solstice festivals. And he says, okay, okay, I know you've, you've practiced, you, you've been searching for light in the darkest of days, literally the darkest of days. This is an emotional thing. If you're living in Norway, you get like two hours of sunlight. These are the darkest of days. You're, you're praying about it. You're thinking, Lord, son, please come back. And you're thinking about it all winter long. You need a reason to party. Anybody got, get the seasonal depression? My, my mother-in-law at Christmas time, the gray happens, and she's like, usually a wonderful peach of a woman. <laughs> Middle of the winter, you're like, oh, Lord. I saw they had an infographic on that this is a grumpier winter than usual because it's been 13% more gray days. And so people with the seasonal depression stuff are like really cranky. So if that's you, I'm not giving you a reason to be cranky, just an explanation, husbands. Um, uh, and that's what's going on there. So <laughs> I'm getting a look over here. Uh, but Pope Julius looks into December 25th. He looks at this idea of the winter solstice. He looks at this idea of the, the dark days. He says, redeem that with the coming of the light, with the Son of God, with the hope of the world. Christmas has always been about hope. Hope that it will get better, that springtime will arrive, that summer will happen again. Christmas is that. Jesus coming is that anticipation and that hope that something better will arrive. When we find ourselves in the story in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew, we see basically the dark night of the soul of the Israel nation, of the Jewish people. This is the worst of the worst. There's been times in their, their life when they were probably a little bit worse off, but this is pretty bad. And we find them there. And what makes this time period a little different is God's been silent for 400 years. The prophets 
have stopped for a long time. And one of the last things that the prophets brought to them, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah brought to them, was this promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I have plans for you. Plans not to harm you, but for you to prosper. For you to grow. Some of us this Christmas need to hear that. Hear the hope in that. After this, for 400 years, God is silent. I don't know about you, if God's silent for about three minutes in my prayers, I start to get cranky. 400 years. And so the Jewish people respond, I think, a lot like we do when our hopes aren't coming true. And I want to not confuse something. I was confusing it all week when I was working on this. Confusing the idea of hope and wish. They're different. A wish is a flippant idea. A hope is, is a, a trust placed in something. And so when this hope is not coming to fruition, when the Jewish people are going, well, this is happening, and this is bad, and this is cranky, and I'm, oh, our lives are getting worse, and our lives are getting worse, and these people, our new generation is falling in, into pagan rituals and all these different things, they respond maybe like you do. And if you find yourself frustrated with God or maybe hopeless or without Hope, maybe you're dealing with the same issue that the Jewish people did as well. The first thing they did, well, not the first thing, but after a while, they invited the enemy in. They took it in their own hands. When we give up hope, we invite the enemy in. How does that work, Jared? I would never do that. Let's see what the Jewish people did, and then you can tell me if you've done it in your own life. Jewish people, they're having a squabble between themselves, and there's this dude with an army named Mr. Pompey, and they're having a civil war there in Israel, and they say, well, Mr. Pompey could come over and arbitrate and mediate this difference of opinion that we're having. We don't want to have bloodshed between the Jewish people, so let's go get Mr. Pompey. They go get Mr. Pompey to, art, to mediate this discussion. Mr. Pompey says, I'll take it. And they said, you know, we, were, we wanted to know who was right so we could deal. No, I'll take it. But, but that's not the question. No, I'll take it. I got the army. You're mine now. Because they didn't trust that God had a plan for them, because they didn't trust in who they were as a Jewish nation, they in, literally invited the enemy in. They said, hey, you're a Roman guy with you know, 10,000 soldiers. Come on over. Let's have cookies. They invited them in. And their lives were ever, they, they purposely did it and it subjugated them to foreign rule for hundreds of years afterwards. 
That was the last time until 1947 that Jewish people had authority over their own state. We're talking 2,000 years. That's a whoops-a-daisy in my book. Why? Because they gave up hope and they tried to do it themselves. Often in our own lives, we, we give up hope on God and we try to do it ourselves. We do this when we listen to Dr. Phil more than we listen to the Bible. We do this when we pay more attention to the stock than we do our prayer life. We do it all the time. The Jewish people blame God for this. Oh, God, how could you let the Roman oppressors come in here? Wait a minute. I didn't invite them there. That was not, I was, I was there and you did that. <laughs> right? But we do that all the time to God. God, why did you let me do those stupid things? This is your fault. Wait a minute. I didn't. Okay. We give up hope in what God has for us. We give up on how his plan for us. We give up on the promises of Jeremiah 29. And what happens is we end up inviting the enemy in. They did this in another way. They did this theologically with the religious leaders as well. The big two divisions that you see in the New Testament, Sadducees and Pharisees, what their argument over is, Hope. The Pharisees had hope for a future. The Sadducees had given up. They're sad, you see. You can remember it now, can't you? Leslie's like, yes, I love that. They'd given up hope. They didn't believe in an afterlife anymore. They're like, I'm done with this. That's how it was. Their argument, their very fabric of who they are, the very fabric of who is teaching them and leading them in worship and to God was divided over the people with hope and the people without hope. Second thing um, we do is we don't let God dwell within us. We keep him away. Until we let God dwell within us, hope will continue to elude us. What do you mean by this, Jared? The Christmas story is perfect for this. Especially the parents in this. Joseph, Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home with you uh, as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to you a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Joseph has a choice whether he will buy into what God's plan for him is, for the hope. Because I'm pretty sure Joseph, at the beginning of the day, did not have plan for him for, to marry an unwed mother that he knows is not his kid. He didn't wake up and go, oh, this is perfect. This is the plans I have. 
That's not number one on the plan sheet. Not Roman numeral. And what happens is he's like, he's going to be classy about it. He's going to divorce her quietly and just be like, it's okay. This is a time in which he, he will face financial ruin. No one's going to go to Joseph's shop to get you know, a table made. He's going to be faced with the stigma, with the junk, all that. He's trying to be classy about it. The angel says, no, 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 don't do it. I want you to do it. Joseph's question about is he going to hold on to hope or not is about authority. Who has the authority, Joseph or God? And it's the same question we have to ask ourselves over and over and over again when we come up to an ethical question, a question about what we want for our plans of our life. Is this God's plan or is it my plan? And I'm going to be honest with you, far too often we pick ours. God will wait, God won't mind, God will forgive me, I'm just going to go back here. And we wonder why we let the enemy in. We wonder why we deal with a bunch of stuff. We wonder why our hearts are broken. We wonder why we find ourselves flat on our face, because we continue to wrestle authority from God instead of giving him the authority. Joseph's plan to divorce Mary is a good one. It's well thought out. It's well crafted. It'll save everybody a lot of face. It's okay. God's plan? Terrible idea. Joseph's plan would have left him in obscurity. God's plan? We get to remember Joseph for all eternity. Joseph's significance is based on this passage. This is what we get of Joseph. For all eternity, you can't have Christmas without Joseph. The dad's there. He gets almost all nativities. He gets a role. Some of them he gets cut out of. feel bad about that. But he's there because he chose the crazy plan. Because he gave authority to God. Could you imagine? Can you imagine that? You want me to, okay, not only marry a girl who's pregnant. You want me to raise, if this is true, if this wasn't the hot wings I had before bed, I, I've got to be the dad to God? Mm-hmm, yeah, get on that. What? This is what he's signing up for. This is a terrible plan. It gets worse. If you read on after uh, the Magi come, Joseph has, well, we can't go home. we got to go to Egypt. He leaves his whole business, probably all of his tools, everything he's ever built up, his whole clientele, his whole networking system. He says, well, we're going to go to Egypt. You say, this is the plan. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He gets to be a part of the greatest story ever told is the reward. Mary has the same issues going on. She, or a different uh, idea. Either it's an authority issue or it's this one. Uh, the, Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, Mary's cousin, who's going to be the, John the Baptist's mom, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the only, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a, children in her, a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. This is another what kind of plan is going on. God's plan here is... You're going you're to do what? I'm a 14, 16-year-old girl, and you're going to... What? I'm going to raise who? Mary's reaction is another one that we need to have when faced with this whose hope are we going to acquiesce to. Mary's choice is about acceptance. Are we going to accept the word from God? Do we just leave it there? I think sometimes we, oh, God, God's been talking to me about this, and I just kind of leave it in a box. It's not an outright refusal. It's just a, oh, okay, we'll just wait and see about that. I'll be obedient when I have more time. I'll, I'll do that when I get around to it. I'll, and the excuses start piling up. I love that Mary doesn't even, her only excuse is, I got one. I'm a virgin. I'm not too clear how where babies come from, but I'm pretty sure about that one. And he takes care of it. And it's an amazing, amazing story. She accepts her role with wonder. This, when we deal with loss of hope, and we're dealing and struggling and and going through all kinds of things, these outlandish stories, this narrative of where Jesus comes from, is how God fulfills that Jeremiah 29, 11 passage. That he starts with an outlandish promise, and 400 years later, he fulfills it with an outlandish story. What Jesus does is he brings the hope of the world back. He brings the hope of the people of Israel back. He is what they've been waiting for. He is what they've been hoping for. They don't even know it yet. His hope, he encompasses this hope in such a complete way. But even with Jesus, even with who he is, even with where he's being born, the Jewish people have this idea of they know what better is. Jesus should have been born to a king. He should have been a knight riding on a white charger. He should have been all these things, and he was none of those things. He was a servant to all. He was far more concerned with people's heart conditions than he was their financial conditions, and still is. When we go through this Christmas story and you see the Magi, you find it, I find it interesting when we read the Christmas story, the only people that don't have to be convinced that Jesus is the Son of God is the people who shouldn't know anything about him. 
that they are totally fine with hope happening with Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the hope that comes in the darkness. And in this season and in this time and in this moment for us, he can be that hope again for us. What we have to do is solve our authority issue. Is Jesus really the authority of our life or is he not? The Jews kept on running away from who God was. And it cost them everything. In our own lives and in the times of my life when I've ran away from God, it's cost me dearly. But God still offers the hope, the future for us. At just the right time, Romans 5, 6 says, you see, at just the right time, when we are all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, Christ came. At just the right time. Not on my time, not on Paul's time, not on on Perry's time, not on my mom's time, not on anybody else's time, but at just the right time time. And I hope and I pray that we can have the patience, we can solve our authority issues of saying, God, you are in control and not me. So that I am ready at just the right time to receive that plan, to receive that purpose, to receive those blessings that you have for me. May this Christmas be a time in which we participate in the hope of Christ. That we know that Jesus is coming, that he loves us, that he cares for us. He has a plan and a purpose for us and a future that we can't imagine. That's what Christmas is all about. The hope in something far greater than we can ever dream about. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you that you came. And God, right now, I confess my authority issues with you. God, I know that I I hold on to things with with white knuckles. And God, right now, I want to open my hands to you. That no matter where you call me, whatever you, you want me to do, who you need me to talk to, and for the people in this church, for the steps of faith that they need to take, maybe this Christmas offering was a huge step of faith for them, a huge sacrifice for them, God. God, we want to relinquish our control and give it to you with open hands. Say, God, it is yours. You are not a God who has forgotten us. You are not a God who has left us. You are not a God who has forsaken us. You are not a God who has pushed us off to the wayside. But you are a God who has a plan for us and love for us. God, that we can step into that. That we can accept it. Maybe we don't feel like we're good enough for it. Maybe we don't feel like, oh, anybody but me, God. But, God, that we would have a spirit of acceptance to know, to accept your love, to accept your care, to accept this extravagant gift of your son that you've given us. Lord, we love you. And we praise your name. Amen.